0: Hello. You are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Well, you guys, I, I wanted to—I wanted to show you my outfit. This is actually my uniform come September 9th, because I am signed up for the school this year. This is my sixth year in grade one, grade one, and I I really don't see myself graduating anytime soon, because literally for the last five years, I show up, signed up, with just a little bit of trembling in my heart because every year I am surprised at what the school of the Lord is teaching me, right? No matter what season we're in, no matter what age we are, the school of the Lord just never stops. And so every year around September, I just see Jesus inside of this huge flaming fire. (laughs) it's like he's calling from inside come on in come on in it's like hot it's so hot and you know I I laugh every time I read the story of Shadrach Meshach and Abednego because it says they were walking with the fourth man in the fire like walking for so long that Nebuchadnezzar had to say hey come out of there Like they had to be beckoned to come out of the fire. And it just makes me laugh because that is absolutely the Jesus I know. I I would pick a pumpkin patch. I I would pick a park, a garden, you know, that secret place we go to with the Lord. And more times than not, it's a huge, massive flaming furnace that I got. Most of the time, I feel like I got pushed into it. (laughs) And his promise isn't that we won't be in fire, but that he will be with us through the fire. And it is impossible to live in the fullness of who he has called us to be without the presence of the Holy Spirit who baptizes us continually in fire. Because fire is constantly burning off of our identity off of our lives what doesn't belong and it's good to hear the insecurity scream down to ashes it's good to hear the fear tremble inside of the fire and I just see a generation of sons and daughters arising who refuse to to use their freedom in Christ to avoid fire I see a generation running towards the fire and remaining, walking and talking with this wild Jesus because we know what fire produces in our life. And it's impossible to discover who we truly are without the presence of fire, the presence of the Holy Spirit. the school is just one way that the Holy Spirit uses every single year in my life to baptize me in fire. And this last year, you know, this last year, I was not expecting what was coming. You know, and I, I always feel like I'm just kind of like a co pilot. You know, I'm flying a plane. Here we go. We're going into the glory. This is the goal into the glory and there's all these special knobs and things. Bob knows what those are called. And it's been, like, years of teaching me, yeah, push that, turn that, twist that. And it's like, whoa, these things were great to keep a plane in the air. <laughs> and this year, like, the knobs just, like, fell off. <laughs> like, like None of them worked. <laughs> and I, I'm like looking over at him, like, "Do you feel concerned about this? You know, I push that button, and it feels like now we're flying upside down. <laughs> and I'm I'm starting to panic, and and then it goes completely dark, and now we're flying in the dark, <laughs> and I, I start yelling out the window. Planes don't even have windows, so it's not good to roll them down. Help! Help! And just my Personal development, my leadership was in the fire, and I left that year realizing I do not control the sun and I do not control the moon was <laughs> like great to learn in one year one. This is helpful, <laughs> and I just spent the whole year realizing. Oh, he does control the sun and he does control the moon. And when it goes dark, it's because there's things we can only learn in the dark and there's stars and there's lessons of rest and there's lessons of peace and there's lessons to remind us who's really running this plane. (laughs) You know what? When we let go, we can have a good time. So if you feel like you're in a dark season, that's great. You're you're gonna learn stuff. Just just don't roll the window down in an airplane. Just good, good life lesson right there. And just yield to the fact that you're not in control on purpose. <laughs> so I wanna I wanna dive into the Bible tonight. I got some passages on my heart. If you guys can open up to Matthew 7, we're going to start there in verse 1. And this comes out of the Sermon on the Mount. So this is Jesus speaking. And does anybody else just feel like you read a little slower when you know it's Jesus speaking? And I just like to slow down and I just like to picture him looking me in the face And saying the words himself. Because surely if he thought of us before the foundation of the world, when not even a single star was up in the sky, surely he was thinking of us when this book was inspired. And I want to read every word like this was intended for me. This was intended for my season, my circumstance, my heart. So when I'm reading the words of Jesus, sometimes I just like to put my name in front of it. Like this. Jen, refuse to be a critic, Jen, will not be a critic, full of bias towards others, and judgment will not be passed on you. For you'll be judged by the same standard that you've used to judge others. Jen, the measurement you use on them will be used on you why would you focus on the flaw in someone else's life and yet fail to notice the glaring flaws of your own? How could you say to your friend, let me show you where you're wrong when you're guilty of even more? You're being hypocritical and a hypocrite. First acknowledge your own blind spots and deal with them. Jen, then you'll be able to be capable of dealing with the blind spot of your friend. Who would hang earrings on a dog's ear? The ESV says, who would give what is holy to a dog or throw pearls in front of wild pigs? They'll only trample them under their feet and then turn around and tear you to pieces. (laughs) You know, he's not angry. He's just honest. (laughs) He's like, you gotta hear the tone of voice in there, you know? He's like, full of grace and truth. And sometimes you just gotta open our ears so that we can hear both. And, you know, this, this passage has been dear to my heart for the last few weeks, month maybe. And because he brought me here probably about a month and a half ago now. You ever feel like the Lord just drops you off at a passage and you're like, you can feel he's wanting to speak to you, but you're not hearing anything. (laughs) So I just open my Bible every day when that happens and I just stare at it. (laughs) And I got dropped off there because I've been in this process for the last year of, you know, being stretched beyond anything I've ever known in learning to live vulnerable and learning, uh, to live boldly saying what I feel like he's asking me to say. And, you know, last summer I spent four books, four four months and wrote a book, one book, not four. And I had been trying for years to write a book. It was like the most miserable process ever. And um, I felt In that summer, last summer, the fire of God come upon me and burn off the fear of man. And what I realized is for years I had been trying to write a book through a grid of people are going to read this. Are they going to misunderstand me? Does this make sense? And I read this quote in the process. If you truly want to find your own voice, you have to lose the concern of it ever being heard. Because once we lose the concern of it ever being f- heard, we're no longer tied up and twisted up thinking about the opinions of others. Will I be understood? Will I be misunderstood? Are they gonna treat me like a wild pig and crumple me down, you know? <laughs> and and I, I literally remained intoxicated for like four months uh, of writing this book. I felt so free. I mean, I literally got up early every morning like a drunk person in the spirit. I mean, you know how drunk people, they just go on and on and on. And there's zero filter. There's zero reservation. And that's like opposite my personality 10,000%. So I was completely altered. And I just told the whole story. I, I mean, I held nothing back. My failures, the most intimate details of my history with the Lord, and it was one of the most spiritual experiences of my whole life. I laughed, I cried, I shook, I laid out prostrate before the Lord, and I didn't want it to end. I literally got so free, I forgot about finishing a book, and fell in love with the process. So then what happened was, I sobered up and I reread what I wrote <laughs> and I thought, oh my Lord God, like, oh my Lord God, <laughs> reading this sober and reading this intoxicated is a entirely opposite terrifying experience and it's been a year okay I finished the book in September and it has been a year of editing you know the book but really editing my heart and immersed in the fire of having to learn how to live a life where we're not filtering through the opinions of people what we're called to do and to be on the earth. That it's not to be a four-month experience, but a life of intoxication. Where, you know, in Song of Solomon it says, who is this coming up from the wilderness leaning on her beloved? And every time I just figure, she's not leaning because she's offended or she twisted her ankle in a pothole she's leaning because she is so intoxicated he's mine i'm with him i don't know where i parked i definitely don't have keys but here's my whole story here's my whole life and I Is the grand scheme of heaven to pour out that new wine so we are not so difficult to work with. (laughs) You want to go over there? Great. Let's go over there. (laughs) And, you know, I'm, I'm like trying to become a morning drinker, an afternoon drinker, an evening drinker, because it's a terrifying world out there when we lose connection with the wine of the Holy Spirit, you know, And, and so, you know, we've been just having these conversations, and repeatedly, you know, I have this history with the Lord where I tell him often, I would do anything for you, and I, I, I would do anything for you. I would do things for you, that I would never even consider doing for anyone else. <laughs> you know. And he dropped me off at this passage, and he's pulling me into um, a, a place with him that it didn't feel like this passage was helping. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> you doing? I'm afraid of me living loud and free and bold in front of dogs and pigs because your Bible, the one you wrote, Jen, they'll only trample under their feet and then turn around and tear you to pieces. (laughs) Obviously, I had to keep sitting (laughs) because there's more to the story. And I'm picturing Jesus Hanging on a tree, being torn to literal pieces, and and I'm realizing, man, you are seeing something I'm not seeing. And over days, I, I just started slowly hearing pieces of his heart. And you know, he's like, um, "I love when you do it for me, but it means so much when you do it for my people too." And it's impossible to be inside of Christ and not see what he saw. And the same measure that we have inside our soul will be the measure we look out and see the world. So if you feel like a wild pig, if you feel like a dog that's worth scraps, when you're looking at all the world out there, you're going to see dogs and pigs ready to trample you at any second. But Jesus said, they they don't take my life from me. I laid it down on my own authority. And, you know, Hebrews 12, 2 says, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Because listen how the Passion Translation says it. He said, because his heart was focused on the joy of of knowing you would be his. He endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation. Listen, he didn't hang brutally for pigs and dogs. He he hung there brutally because there was a joy motivating his heart knowing they will be mine. And you know, I was watching Stephen stand up and give away the purest form of who he was for chapters and acts he preached the gospel and and his crowd was not honoring to what he was giving away and apostle after apostle hero after hero in our faith have been tackled down and ripped to shreds when they gave the best of who they were And until we can stop filtering the opinions of people through our mind, we'll never have the courage to see people for who they truly are. When there's no dog left in you, there won't be any dogs to see out there. When there's no wild pig that's worth only trash, it will be easy to throw our pearls before the world because the eyes of Jesus said, you're worth it. You're worth it, you're worth it, you're worth it. You can't take from me because I've chosen to give it away on my own regard. And we know we're truly free from the opinion of man, from the fear of man when I'm not for sale. I'm not gonna bring the best if you. I'm not gonna show up and and give you my pearls if you. My gifts aren't for sale. My talents aren't for sale. The best parts of me aren't for sale. My failures aren't for sale. Because true love is looking for nothing in return. True love is not for sale. Jesus walked the earth needing nothing from the people he was laying down everything for. He walked the earth motivated. What are you saying, Father? What are you saying? And he modeled boundaries. He is our standard of healthy boundaries because he's our standard of protecting a yes. No matter what you do, I know why I'm here. No matter how you respond, I know what I've come for. And every bound, when we know we're pearls, we will become the healthiest people walking upon our earth because we know who we belong to and why we are here. And, you know, I have felt Jesus inviting me into a place of worship that I didn't know existed, that it moves his heart when we value who else is in the room it will always be for him but we can't worship him in fullness without honoring what he honors and he honors his people you know all of us that have kids know what that's like when someone loves your kids you're like oh, like Jennifer Hetland does this so well like i will love you forever that it moves your heart in a way that nothing else in life can touch your heart. And I've been seeing this look in his eyes. Would you think my people are worth it? No matter how they respond, will you show up and give your best? Will you show up relentlessly unreserved and see them as pearls that I paid an extravagant price for? And, you know, if we flip over to chapter 13, verse 45, Jesus is talking again. So you could put your name in there. Jen, heaven's kingdom realm is also like a jewel merchant in search of rare pearls. When he discovered one very precious and exquisite pearl, he immediately gave up all he had in exchange for it. He's like a jewel merchant in search of pearls. He walked the earth not looking for pigs and dogs and people who weren't worthy of his presence. He was looking for unique and precious pearls. The parable before it said he was like a landowner who bought the whole field, the whole world, because he saw a treasure dug down in the deep of the dirt. And that was you, and that was me. And the same measure that we have used for ourselves is the way that we will see the world around us. And if we feel like, I'm actually the manure, and other people are the pearls buried around me. (laughs) We've all been there, you know, some of us for years, some of us for moments, but we can all relate, you know. (laughs) The same measure will come out in the way that we give who we are. Because if we believe we're manure, we're not going to show up to the table that we're all invited to. And relentlessly give our best and relentlessly spend it all on him and his people. You are a rare and precious, one-of-a-kind pearl. And, And we have to put ourselves inside of Hebrews 12 and see because of his focused heart on me. The joy of knowing that I would be his. He endured the agony of the cross. That there is no greater measurement of worth that will ever compare. And when we, when we experience that measure of worth, what could a human being do? What could the loss of a job do? What could, what could the, the wind and the waves of life say about our identity when he hung on a tree? And what was motivating his passion was the joy of knowing that you would belong to him. There will n- never in all of time, history, and eternity be any greater measurement of your worth then you are the motivating joy of Jesus. And you're unique. You can say a prayer in a crowd. We can worship corporately in a crowd. But you cannot learn who you are to him by comparing yourself to a crowd. Because you are one of a kind. And you will know you're living in the fullness of who he has called you to be. When your worth doesn't change no matter who's in the room. When who you are before him is the same in public as it is in private. When you can spill your soul just like a drunk, crazy person in the secret place. You know you're truly free when you don't live with reservation in the public place either. But you show up and you're no longer filtering your decisions. How will this be perceived? Will they think this is all about me? Will they think I'm trying to puff myself up? Will they think this is arrogant? Will they think I'm proud? Are they going to misunderstand me? Are they going to think this is like a gospel about Jen? You know? Whatever, whatever it looks like in your head. True freedom is that we're no longer considering those things. We're too drunk to connect any type of adult dots for any other person on the planet. Listen, don't be a critic. Don't judge in your head what someone else is thinking about you. Because you're judging the purity of their heart. And the only reason we judge the purity of their heart, filtering through, well, they're probably thinking this about me, Probably they're probably misunderstanding this. They probably think I'm arrogant, is because that's the measure we've been using in our own soul. But when I step up to the table and I know that I know that I know I'm loved. I'm the one he left heaven and endured the cross. I'm the pearl. There's a purity that starts to well up in our soul that only the gospel can produce. And suddenly I'm seeing everyone as a pearl. You're worth it. You're worth it. You're worth it. I'm worth it. We're all worth it. Oh, I never thought once that you would be thinking that. I thought you were too drunk to have thoughts like that. Because I'm too drunk to have thoughts like that. I lost the concern of how anybody's filtering my voice. It just sounds like this. (laughs) This is just how it sounds. Place of worship that has become irresistible and I find myself shouting your people are beautiful wow wow I-, I can't believe how beautiful your people are you've made good people when they were in their mother's womb and you were the only one knitting together that's your dream walking around planet earth I see your dream I am I am astonished at how brilliant you are Your people are gorgeous. Who could ever think that's a pig? That is a pearl. That is a pearl. And I see a generation of such a purity of worship that we forgot how to compare. We forgot how to consider the thoughts of others. Because we got so lost in the reality of what Jesus won that we would be his We are His happy prize, and how how could we resist being the joy that He paid such an extravagant price for? And I just want to read a story of a woman who got it, and she she's in Luke chapter seven, and her story starts in verse thirty six. And it says, chapter 7, verse 36. Afterward, a Jewish religious leader named Simon asked Jesus to his home for dinner. Jesus accepted the invitation. And when he went to Simon's home, he took his place at the table. In the neighborhood, there was an immoral woman of the streets, known to all to be a prostitute. And when she heard about Jesus being in Simon's house... She took an exquisite flask made from alabaster, filled it with the most expensive perfume, went right into the home of the Jewish religious leader and knelt at the feet of Jesus in front of all the guests. Broken and weeping, she covered his feet with the tears that fell from her face. She kept crying and drying his feet with her long hair. Over and over she kissed Jesus' feet. Then she opened her flask and anointed his feet with her costly perfume as an act of worship. And when Simon saw what was happening, he thought a thought. This man can't be a true prophet. If he were really a prophet, he would know what kind of sinful dog, wild pig woman (laughs) is touching him. And Jesus said, Simon, I have a word for you. (laughs) He was known. she, She was known in the whole town as a prostitute. And somehow, you know, when I was just digging into the story, just trying to figure out, what would compel her to think this was the best time to worship Jesus? I'm like, I'm, my heart is going out to her. You know, I'm like, they're going to trample you down and treat you like a pig and out of there. You know, don't give what's holy to a dead dog. This was before I had the revelation. And and, and I'm just diving in. And, you know, they're like, obviously she had heard or had a personal encounter of some sort to know who Jesus was, to know his message of mercy, to know his gospel of grace. And she received a measure of the reality of who Jesus was as deliverer, as savior, as the one who rewrites history, enough to the point that she thought it was a good idea to go be where he was that she thought it was the perfect time. It says she knew everyone who was gonna be in the house. (laughs) And she thought, oh, this is my moment. I've got an offering to bring. I've got this worship building inside of me because I've tasted and I've seen somehow the part of the story we don't know. She was aware this is the son of the living God. And if there was ever going to be a right time to live like a pearl, it's going to be at the table nobody wants me at. And she didn't change the subject. She went right to the feet of Jesus and poured out an offering that to this day, generations of faith-filled believers are still inspired by. And she showed up as a pearl when the rest of the town only knew her as a prostitute. And somewhere in her thinking, she made a transition in the judgment of herself. Because this is the truth, no little girl at any point in their life wakes up one day and says, I want to be a prostitute when I grow up. Nobody, no little boy says, I want to sell myself for money. No human being on the face of the planet was ever designed and created to willfully show up and say, purchase me i'm for sale i'm worth it and we have an entire general they're not a wild pig of hurting confused sons and daughters that don't know they're not a wild pig you're not for sale any longer your giftings can't take you there your anointings can't take you there your money can't take you there none of who you are is for sale You have been bought with the most valuable price and nothing ever again in all of eternity will ever come close to defining your worth. And she made a transition. I'm not a wild pig. The whole world, my world, still sees me as a dog, not worth the holiness of Jesus. And somewhere in her Process with a Savior, she thought, I'm wanted here. (laughs) I belong in this room in the presence of all these people. Because she could have done it in secret, she could have done it in private. But I think it's that much more beautiful that she had tasted and seen a Savior who wasn't measuring her by her past who she, she, she showed up. How saved is that? That's like saved, saved, you know? <laughs> and listen, we won't always be invited to Simon's table. There is just one place that gives us access to any room to have something to contribute, no matter who's at the table. And it's when we consistently show up to belong at his feet it doesn't matter who else is at the table it doesn't matter who else is in the room i belong because i have a place at his feet and it's reserved for the rest of eternity and we can't work our way there we can't discipline our way there and she figured out how to get there and and jesus says i have feedback for you simon I'm not angry, I'm honest. And he said, teacher, I want to hear it. He said, it's a story about two men who were deeply in debt. One owed the bank $100,000, and the other owed $10,000. When it was obvious that neither of them would be able to repay their debts, the kind banker graciously wrote off the debts and forgave them their debts, all that they owed. Tell me, Simon, Put your name in there. Tell me, Jen, which one of these two debtors would be the most thankful? Which one would love the banker most? Simon answered, I suppose it would be the one with the greatest debt forgiven. You're right, Jesus agreed. Then he spoke to Simon about the woman still weeping at his feet. Don't you see this woman kneeling here? She is doing for me what you didn't bother to do. When I entered your home as your guest... You didn't think about offering me water to wash the dust off my feet, yet she came into your home and washed my feet with her many tears and then dried my feet with her hair. You didn't even welcome me into your home with the customary kiss of greeting, but from the moment I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't take the time to anoint my head with fragrant oil, but she anointed my head and feet with the finest perfume. She has been forgiven of all her many sins. This is why she has shown me such extravagant love. But those who assume they have very little to be forgiven will love me very little. Then Jesus said to the woman at his feet, all your sins are forgiven. All the dinner guests said among themselves, who is the one who can even forgive sins? Then Jesus said to the woman, your faith in me has given you life now you may leave and walk away in peace and what she experienced in the measure she was using to judge that was forgiveness she experienced a white as snow that when we know that we know that we know i am forgiven i am forgiven Our love and passion for Jesus is directly connected to how much do I know what he did? How aware do, do I still keep pockets of unworthiness that the blood of Jesus doesn't get to touch? Do I still have areas where I treat myself like a wild pig? Do I still have places that I reserve and hold back Because what those places are holding you back from is this extravagant love that can't be stirred up. It can't be conjured up. It can't be disciplined up or performanced up. It's only the result of an awareness of what has been done. The price that has been paid. And we will go to deeper and deeper places at his feet. In parallel relationship with a growing awareness of the beauty of what our king has done for a rare and precious pearl. That it becomes personal. And that and that I I let go of my grip on the places of my heart that I have decided in my own measurement. That's a wild pig. And and you know what? She thought that Simon was worth having in the room. And he, he was judging her. He was pushing her out the door in his thought life. He, he was condemning her. He was looking at her with shame. And inside her own measurement, she, she was releasing an act of worship that was so intimate and so personal. And in her mind, she never said he doesn't deserve to be in the room. Jesus, can you come outside for a second? And Simon ended up benefiting from getting to see a woman who lived unreserved and without concern about his opinion. And and I'm sure for the rest of his days, this moment marked him. And when you choose to live a life that believes in the sufficiency of what's been done, your worship ends up touching the untouchables. And, you know, sometimes it's so easy to write off the religious and say, oh, they don't, they don't, they don't deserve to be in the room for what I'm about to do. They can't understand it, you know. <laughs> worth it. They're not worthy. They don't have what I have. They don't understand what I understand. But, But that's the measure that you're using to measure yourself coming out. Because when you know you're a pearl, everyone becomes a pearl. When you know I'm worth it, everyone becomes worth it. And you know, even Stephen himself had Paul standing right there in the crowd and didn't hold back. He didn't hold back. You know, that that verse in Acts gets me every time when it says, but Stephen was peering intently into heaven. He was being stoned. They were treating him like a wild pig. And he was treating them like pearls who were worth it. He was saying, you're worth it and he's worth it. And the Bible says he was staring intently into heaven. And that Jesus was standing up. And we know from that verse in Hebrews that he was seated in heavenly places. And he is watching his boy treat his people like pearls. Pearls. And it moved the heart of Jesus so much that he stood to his feet to welcome home his son with a standing ovation. That's my boy. That's my son. He looks like me. He smells like me. He's free like me. And we know we're truly living the gospel when his smile means more than any earthly pleasure down here. And Paul was in that crowd. Could you imagine where we would be without Paul? Could you imagine where we would be if Stephen never thought Paul was worth it? And I feel whenever I feel myself wounded from the thinking of the religious or wounded from this or that, it's not their problem. It's my problem. And they can never fix a problem that didn't originate with them. I've got to go back. I've got to take the places in me that feel like a wild pig, and I've got to lay them at the feet of Jesus, and I've got to burst through the door, and I've got to say, I've got to get this worship out because I know I'm a pearl. I'm a pearl because he's a pearl. <laughs> and so I, I would love us all just to stand up. And I would just love for us, just in our own way, in, in your own heart, I'm just, uh, we have all been experiencing such an unreserved, undefiled freedom in our worship that, that is what we've dreamt about. And I see a momentum brewing that not only is he worth it, but his people are worth it. And and there is a momentum happening in, in the midst of this outpouring that is going to leave us un- intoxicated, not just for this season, not just for moments in corporate worship, but intoxicated the way the new wine of the Holy Spirit was meant to drench our life. That I wake up in the morning and I can't help but lean that I'm going to get my coffee and I can't help but lean on the person of Jesus because it's the look in his eye it's the smile on his face he's the joy in the night when everything goes dark I'm totally fine as long as you're there when the fire feels hot and expensive and everything not of him is screaming it's worth it because of that look in his eyes and so we're a company of people here in our mark of history and we're picking up the baton from generations past and we're saying it's worth it he's worth it his people are worth it and we're laying down our lives in the fullness of everything we are you can have the best of me you can have the worst of me! And you know, the parts of you that we consider a pearl are not just the shiny parts. <laughs> you know, because I'm happy to put all the shiny parts in a book. <laughs> I hope you smile when you read it. You know, like, no, that's not what it means to be a pearl. It's the the prostitute coming to the feet of Jesus when the whole town still saw her as a prostitute. And she said, I'm not ashamed for you to know my past. I'm not ashamed for you to know that I needed a Savior. I needed a God. And, you know, I, I was reading a couple months ago in this book by Peter Scazzaro. And he said, you know, one of the definitions of an emotionally healthy leader is they talk effortlessly about their failures. (laughs) And he's like, you know, we got to look at David. And he was king, a rich, wealthy king. And he had all the influence at his fingertips. And he could have easily blotted out his worst moments for the rest of time. And we never would have known about Bathsheba we, he could have used his power, his influence, his resources. But it sure no one knew about his failure, his poor choices. But instead, he used all of his authority to put it in the history books forever. And not only the history books, but he wrote a song in the Psalms that the people of God were commanded to sing. my ear. Would you rather put it in a song? (laughs) And I said, a book is fine! A book is fine! Oh God! You know (laughs) what? And this is the thing. Nobody benefits from our highlight reel alone. Nobody! And you showing up being the best you means I have no apologies! I know I'm not qualified! I know you don't have to either and that is when our lives she used to be a prostitute she's happy how did that happen he used to be a thief and he he has a family that's thriving I knew him. When he did that, how is that possible? He committed adultery and God called him his friend. What is that? And when we live without apology and we live without having to defend any of the voices of, that we imagined up, sometimes people say them loud, but... Sometimes it's just because of our own judgmental system happening in our own heart. And they're not even thinking that. He- Heidi Baker says if we realized how little people actually thought about us, we would never be concerned. <laughs> I don't know if that's comforting or a little hard, but either way, it's helpful. So we just want to say, Jesus, that we're showing up to be the real deal, that we're showing up in all of our strength, we're showing up in all of our weakness because we're showing up leaning, we're showing up needy, we're showing up dependent, we're showing up as a people who have been fully forgiven. How do you worship like that? time, the answer will be, I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. And when you're forgiven, you can't help but respond. So let's just erupt with a shout of praise tonight. Let's honor Him. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.